Howdy, y'all. You're listening to The Managing Up Show with Travis Swiskid and Brandon Hayes. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about coaching. This is a follow-on to our previous conversation. We were talking about the traits of a good manager. Uh, coaching being one of those that we said we could do a podcast on. Now we're going to try to eat our words and see if we can actually do a podcast on coaching. Yeah, uh, it's actually something that came up in feedback about uh, that episode that uh, it was a little surprising how high that was on the list and uh, people really wanted uh, more of a dive on to what it meant to be a great coach. Like is a great coach was one of those traits. Uh, and there are, are resources out there for that. There are, you know, there are, there are actually attributes. And uh, as you dive into what makes a great coach, uh, there's actually uh, an article that we can point to. We'll put it in the show notes uh, from Harvard Business Review about how managers think that they're good at coaching, but they're really not. And uh, that, and they've done surveys on comparing what people think they're, you know, where people think that they're uh, good at coaching, and find out uh, digging into the results that in certain areas they're not as good as they think they are, and they break it out into nine different ap- attributes. And I don't think we'll get through all nine. Uh, we're not going to go through a supersized episode again this time, but. <laughs> Uh, there are there are some of these attributes, and I'm going to list them, uh, and then we'll dive in uh, sort of in order, uh, partially because this is the thing that we wanted to uh, talk. The, they're sort of in the order that we wanted to talk about them anyway. But the nine attributes are listening, questioning, giving feedback, assisting with goal setting, showing empathy, letting the coachee arrive at their own solution, recognizing and pointing out strengths, providing structure, and encouraging a solution focused approach. So they consider those nine things, and and we'll go into uh, a selection of them that we think are are worth digging into. And you know, who knows? More of them will most likely emerge as we talk about other topics. But uh, the one that I wanted to zoom in with you first, obviously, was the the first one on the list about listening. Um, uh, and I wanted to find out some of your experiences around the connection between listening and coaching, because it's kind of it. I think that's not what people think of. I don't think people think of like a football coach, a famous football coach as uh, being an extraordinary listener. Uh, our, our mental model for what coaching is uh, and and listening don't often go together. Yeah, that is an interesting thing. The when you think of the word coach, like the football coach, the the baseball coach, some sort some sort of team sport coach, uh, that's where my mind goes to instantly. Um, and I don't think I think this is a word that we've overloaded. Um, when it comes to coaching uh, in uh, business terms, it's something totally different in my mind. Um, and I think listening and questioning kind of go hand in hand. Um, you need to be able to listen and ask questions. Um, but I, I can sit here and ask you questions all day long if I'm not listening to what you're saying and adjusting my approach to working with you, uh, the feedback I'm giving you based on what you're, you've said, asking questions is irrelevant um, without listening. And there's not much to listen to if you're, if you're not asking the right questions and, and helping guide the conversation in, in the direction uh, that, that you, it's that combination of the things that you think it should go in plus um, where the person you're coaching is trying to go um, and finding that the nexus of those two. Uh, to me, um, the, I'm curious for your perspective on this, like as somebody who's been a developer and then gone into management, uh, what's the, what's that transition been like for you where you're coming into the, the conversation of peers versus the, the, um, now you're the, the big bad boss, um, and still trying to have those same conversations and trying to listen and, and ask questions, but doing it through that different lens. Um, that's an interesting 
Uh, that's actually an interesting take and approach to thinking about this because um, it's easy to like it's easy to forget it's easy to forget where you are coming from even shortly after you are from there. You know, I was uh, I've been managing for a few years now, but off and on I've also been writing code, and it's easy to forget the context that somebody else might be sitting in when they're the developer and you're in a management position. It's easy to you know think. You know, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you know their job really well, mm-hmm. um, or uh, so it, it's uh, or forget the power dynamic that exists there, and yeah. forget that when somebody's talking to you, that they may be couching their phrasing or whatever because they feel like you have some you know authority over them or decision making power that they don't have. Uh, it's really um, uh, maybe so. Maybe the first exercise in listening is like kind of understanding the context that you're in with them, and so moving from being a developer to being a manager, I think actually uh, one of the hardest things to do is to recognize that and to realize you're no longer just up here where you can kind of shoot the breeze with them or whatever and and complain about you know coworker X and how coworker X isn't uh, you know writing code and 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 as coworkers you might empathize more with that person and say hey you know that pull request sure was garbage and uh, I can't believe that required 45 round trips uh, of feedback to uh, get it to a state that was even shippable and sort of build rapport with that person by kind of talking about things where when you when the power dynamic is there of hey you're supposed to be managing this team and this now they're talking to you about their team member that's one part of it i think i'll get into a little more later about my personal tendency uh, i'm I, I will say this when i moved into management i assumed i would be better at it than i was and probably the key flaw in my management style was not having practiced listening and active listening techniques and not exercising it like a skill and the way I found that out was by people that I managed telling me, hey, Brandon, you're a shitty listener. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's useful feedback. Thank you. I, so that's an interesting, uh, an interesting thing to have had happen because like, everybody talks about the, the time they had a good boss. And uh, you're not alone. I've heard other, other managers say that, the, that they really had a, a turning point in their career when they had a, a good employee. Um, and somebody who was able to point something out to them and help coach them. So that's the other thing. This isn't like if you walk into the coaching relationship, thinking of it in that like top down hierarchical, you're the coach and this is the team that you're coaching and moving in the right direction. You're already thinking about it wrong. Um, and being open to, to that sort of feedback and encouraging that sort of feedback and getting that sort of feedback is key to, to both being good at your job, but also just growing in your job. Um, to be able to, to, uh, encourage that kind of a relationship, um, and get people to a point that they feel comfortable uh, making those kind of statements. Because I, I know early in my career as a developer, um, I would have felt completely out of my depth to go tell, uh, a manager that kind of negative feedback. Um, <laughs> even though, even if it was warranted, yeah. um, keeping truth tellers close. So maybe, you know, at least what it means is that I, at least I had the base level of skill of listening, which is to not reject feedback when it uh, when it does ar- arise. But it's a lot subtler than that, too, you know, where uh, you're not just listening for uh, feedback about how you can improve. But that two way coaching thing, I really like that take on it. I really like the idea that the coaching relationship is not a one way relationship. And so that listening isn't just a part of 
while I'm listening so that I can gather information so that I can coach you better, it is walking in with the default assumption that, hey, this is a two-way coaching relationship. You're teaching me how to manage people and specifically you better. And I am uh, I am here to help you navigate difficult situations in your job. And sometimes those blockers are external, but sometimes they're internal. And ask, having somebody that, that's just available for you to talk to and talk through through your thoughts with and not necessarily arrive at any kind of conclusion or assignment or action, but to be able to have talked through your own problem in a way that sometimes lets you unravel it yourself is an extremely valuable capability. And a lot of times I think I have a tendency as a manager, and I think this may be reasonably typical, to constantly be in analysis and solution mode. Yeah, that sort of blocks you from listening properly. So I'm like constantly taking in information, synthesizing it, analyzing it, and then going, okay, I think I have an answer. And as soon as I have the answer, it's like being the the uh, Hermione Granger in class, you know, like, ooh, ooh, pick me, I have the answer, I have the answer. And so you and you jump in and you interrupt the person, finish their sentence, uh, provide the solution, and there and and the same person that that in the conversation about not being a great listener, he's like, sometimes I don't want you to go in and solve the problem. I just want to tell you about what's going on. And and, and have you uh, help me uh, unravel that? Or I just want you to just sit with it for a day or two. Or sometimes I'm just venting. Yeah. Um, in in one of our last conversations, you talked about the que- the magic question. I've started to put this into practice since our conversation. How you say, how how would you like me to help with this? Yeah. And and just doing that causes people to pause sometimes and say, oh, I don't want you to do anything. Yeah. Like just in the couple weeks since I started doing this, and so I'm actually a better listener since we've started these conversations. So that's good. The, the good news. So, uh, but I'm curious to see if you have other takes on, uh, or experiences on like, pr- like learning to listen better or, uh, other effects that listening has in, you know, whether you're being managed or managing other people. For me. And, and so I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Uh, for me, the problem is, um, continuing to check that I'm doing that. Um, when people talk about active listening, uh, that's my takeaway from that is that it's a, something you're actively trying to do. Um, so like, uh, a mindfulness exercise or a breathing exercise where you're focused on your breath, you're actively trying to focus on one thing. A lot of people think of like, oh, meditation, you're just emptying your mind and you're in this blissful state of, of not thinking about anything. And that's the, f- in my experience, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, it, it takes active concentration to get to the point. Uh, where you can focus just on your breath. Um, for me, it's the same thing with listening. Um, I routinely catch myself uh, going in and realizing that um, all of a sudden I'm the one answering all the questions in the room, um, or I'm the one just, I'm on a monologue right now in what was supposed to be a discussion. And it takes that moment, sort of the same thing of mindfulness where you're being aware of what you're doing. I think that's a good practice to help with this um, because it gets you used to kind of pulling yourself outside of that they talk about it being a stream, pull yourself outside of the stream and watch the, watch the river float by doing that helps with listening for me, uh, to like check, am I doing it? I, I, I had a meeting this week where I, uh, caught myself doing that. And I started, I opened up my, uh, uh iPad pro. I, I, I use that when I'm going to write notes, I pull out my iPad pro. Um, and I started, uh, opened up a, a note so I could keep some notes on what was going on. And I just put in everybody's, uh, name that was in the meeting and just started putting a checkbox when they were talking including myself. So anytime I offered anything, I would mark a check. Um, and my goal for that, uh, was to make sure that I wasn't the one in, in front of that. Hmm. I was on the, t- I was 
on the top half of that, which is I've, I'm speaking more than I would have liked to. I was in a room full of really smart people and I'd like to uh, let them talk. Uh, but it was a way to like force myself to observe what was happening, how it was going and how everyone was contributing and what I, how I was contributing, how I was interacting with it. So it was, it gave me a way of observing that, which I think is key to making sure that you're you're doing it at least for me it's something that's key because if i don't actively do it i'm going to fall back into developer mode the thing you were just talking about where you're like sitting there and yeah let's talk about this code let's talk let's talk about that well what about if we did this um and ignoring the context or the weight of what you're saying or Mm -hmm. hey can you believe this pull request took took so long i can't believe that um which you would have said about a coworker, but maybe you shouldn't be saying about uh, somebody that reports to you that is a coworker to this other person who reports to you I think that feeds into one of these things further down the list about showing empathy. Uh, we normally think of showing empathy like trying to understand where they're coming from, but a big part of that is understanding, empathizing the impact of what you're saying and the questions you're asking and the way you're interacting with them, uh, what impact that's going to have. Hmm. Uh, when I think back to the best bosses that I've had, um, I feel like they've very they've been able to empathize with me and meet me where I'm at at that point in time. And when I think back to the worst ones that I've had, none of them have done that. Um, they've very explicitly uh, ignored the situation that we were in and they had an agenda. This is what they were going to do. They were going to get that done. Okay, we're done. That, that was the, our interactions. There wasn't that, that level of empathy with me and my perception of them and what they were bringing to the conversation. So there were, there were two things there. One of them, uh, like, uh, I want to pick them apart because one of them is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is garbage. Forget it. Yeah. That was a- <laughs> hey, if I'm batting 500, I'm happy. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> no, they're both very good points. So one of them, one of them, the second thing you talked about was uh, the emp- empathy exercise of listening and actively putting yourself in that person's shoes while you're talking to them and trying to understand how what you might be saying could be perceived or how they're uh, feeling as they're as they're sharing stuff with you. The other one that I think a lot of people I've met in the past, there are people I know that are assumed to be really good listeners just because they don't talk a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But the only way to prove that you're a terrible listener is to talk a lot. (laughs) And so leaving those empty spaces um, is very uncomfortable for me. This is mm-hmm. um, this is feedback I've gotten about uh, you know managing people and hosting podcasts. It's very uncomfortable to leave dead air in there. Uh, that's not a that's not a good feeling when you're tr- when you're trying to keep a conversation moving forward. And so I will fill that space and turn some internal thoughts into words that I think might be interesting or entertaining or whatever, <laughs> and kind of like vamp and dance a little bit in in a conversation to try to keep things from stagnating in a weird place. But uh, listening, there people that are willing to let that get weird and to let there be silence and to let another person potentially fill the space, they at least have a shot of being better listeners. And so the, the, the exercise you talked about with the, the check marks and the names in the room, I think, I mean, did you make this up or did you learn this somewhere? I feel like I learned this somewhere. I want to say this was from uh, Radical Candor, um, okay. that they're talking about that in, in watching meetings and trying to move meetings in a good direction, make sure that... Uh, everyone has an equal voice. So just keep track of who's speaking in the room and use that. And this is an opportunity for you as a coach to try to encourage those people who are talking. If, if there's one person who is being outspoken two to one, um, maybe you need to call on them and say, Hey, Bob, what do you think about this? Yeah. Hey, Carol, does this, 
does that, do you agree with what everybody's saying here and try to pull them out? Because you're right. They probably, there, there is a good chance that they are listening and taking things in and digesting things. Um, and they might need that prodding. Some people need prodding to get that out of them. So asking those questions, trying to keep there from being dead air can be good thing, a good thing. Some people need that space to just sit there and think. Um, I've worked with many developers who you could ask them a question and they'll just rattle something off immediately. Um, whether it's right or not, it's a different question, but they'll first thing that comes to mind, that's what they're going to do. Me personally, that's, I tend to do that. I've worked with many a developer who you ask them a question and they're going to sit there and think. And if you don't fill the air, it's going to take, could take 30 seconds, could take three, could take 30, could take a minute or two. It could be they sit there and think for a minute. I'm like, I don't know if I have the answer to that. Let me think about it for a little bit. And then they come back two days and they've got the answer for you, but it, they needed to stew over it. So that's like, that gets back to the, the, the empathy, uh, communicating with people the way they need to be communicated with, um, I think is being able to adjust the way that you question and listen to people um, and talk to people based on uh, who they are, where they are, what they need. Um, I think that's a key thing to being uh, a good manager without an asterisk. You can be a really yeah. good manager for extroverts or a really good manager for introverts or a really good manager for Libras. Um, but <laughs> to, to be able to be a good manager, I think you need to be able to uh, adjust your, um, in writing, it's adjusting your voice. Uh, when yeah. you adjust your voice, depending on who you talk to. And I mean, this is very true uh, for people in positions of, of leadership uh, like you and I, where we're talking both to people who are the quote unquote in the trenches, uh, but people who are, are, are doing the work of development, but then also to uh, the executive staff. Um, the conversation you're going to have, and we kind of get used to doing this when we think about how we adjust what we say. If we're talking about um, rewriting how we handle indexing this one particular table in this uh, database and why we need to change databases to make that work, you're not going to have that technical of a conversation talking to the CEO and explaining why it doesn't work. It's right. about the, the features that that impacts and what that means to the bottom bottom line. So thinking about doing that on a more individual basis instead of on a, 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 a class basis. Am I talking to a developer? Or am I talking to a CEO? Mm-hmm. Um, but am I talking uh, to Alice or am I talking to Bob? I, I think that's a, a key thing there uh, uh, in that showing empathy and being able to listen and question well. You can ask the best questions for an extrovert, but if you're talking to somebody who's an introvert um, and you're used to that highly gregarious, let's not let there be dead air kind of communication style, you're going to come out of one-on-ones with somebody who's a, a true introvert and they're going to just be drained. Yeah. It's like suffocating. Yeah. Um, and uh, interestingly, I th- the thing that I learned, uh, it's actually the next thing on the list and you brought it up several times and it's all connected. I think these three ideas are connected of listening, questioning, and showing empathy. Mm-hmm. Because the way that you show empathy that I thought I was going to show empathy naturally was guessing. I will guess what this person is feeling and intuit it and that is a nice shortcut to lean on, but it's a lot less reliable than just asking somebody. Yeah. And there's a different mindset you have to take if you're going to use questioning as a part of your listening strategy. Um, hey, what are you thinking about this? You know, what are your feelings about this? And I'm, I've learned in people that even, you know, in the recent past, people that have coached me when they're providing even negative feedback, I've appreciated so much when that negative feedback came or constructive criticism, but it, it felt, you know, stuff that I would process as negative feedback came in the form first of questions. Hey, I noticed this thing happening. 
what was this about? What was that thing? What was, uh, what was your intention here? What were your goals here? Okay, well, your goals were this. What you actually achieved with was this. Oh, wow, that wasn't my intention at all. Oh, yeah, I figured that was the case. And so I've, I've learned from watching people that are what I would consider really great coaches operate that uh, using questions, you know, questions are a great way to kickstart. Like they prove that you're listening up front because you're, you didn't come in with an agenda. You came in with curiosity and curiosity is a great signal that you're about to be listened to. Yeah. And that this person actually cares about my answer shows that they have a great deal of empathy. Uh, or they could ask the questions and then move right into, you know, a diatribe or something that had been prepared. But uh, hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. I, you know, one thing that's missing from this list, and you kind of kind of rubbed up against it right there, um, is the uh, in all of these things, if you're doing them as a means to an end and not not genuinely doing them, um, that comes off immediately. Um, if you're asking a question and waiting for somebody to answer you and then say, okay, great. And then go straight into what you would have said in the first place that comes off as, uh, and it, to me, again, a, a sample size of one, uh, that comes off as completely disingenuous and somebody who was reading Har- Harvard business review and saw this new article on management and was like, Hey, I got to introduce this yeah. because this is what a good manager is supposed to do. No, um, it's a sample size of two. Cause I'm with you on that one. Okay. So, okay. Well, hey, we just doubled the sample <laughs> <Two>. size. <laughs> Um, so again, all three of these things I think do go together. Uh, well, these are the, I think the three cornerstones and I would even put, uh, giving feedback in there as well. Um, things like assisting, assisting in goal setting, um, and, and so on. The, the other things start to get a little bit more, uh, prescriptive and all of them require those first, uh, four, uh, pieces, uh, to actually work well. The, I read a really interesting book um, a few months back uh, by Alan Alda, uh, the comedian, uh, TV star. Um, he apparently has a very lucrative uh, speaking career now where he goes out and speaks to companies. Um, but his background is in uh, improv theater. Um, he's done improv comedy as well. Um, that's a, a, an outshoot of it, but uh, doing uh, theater where everything is improvised. Um, and it, it may be comedic. It may be more serious. Um, and the title of the book is amazing. Uh, it's, if I understood you, would I have this look on my face? Um, and it's all about communication and it's the distillation of a a speech that he gives, uh, to companies talking about this. And it draws a lot on his experience in improv because you cannot do successful improv without listening and trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and trying to understand the world that is around you. I mean, literally listening, questioning, and showing empathy are, are foundational requirements for successful improv to work. And for anybody who's ever uh, watched or participated in improv, there are times when it works and it feels like magic, and there are times where you're like, what, what just happened? <laughs> um, but I think it's those three pieces right there. Um, and you could even say that in topping all of those off is giving feedback so that you make sure you're all on the same page and moving towards the same goal. That, that connection is actually really valuable because uh, if you've ever seen or participated in improv, it is basically the scariest thing in the world mm-hmm. because it's hard to imagine putting yourself out there more than tr- putting yourself in a place where you could make people laugh or you could make them think that you're a total tool. <laughs> and, and, and you just don't have it in you to, to make the thing happen that you want to have happen. And that's a really, that's one of the most vulnerable places you could ever put yourself in. And the less vulnerable thing would be to get up and give a speech that you had prepared. Uh, I think that actually is at the heart of the difference between what this good coaching and low quality coaching 
Low quality coaching is prepared. It's bottled. It's safe. It's not risky. Uh, it comes from a place of not having, you know, like there's a, you don't have to put a ton of work into it and you don't have to put yourself out there in, in a way that exposes you as vulnerable. But when you ask questions, you may not have the answers to those. Listening is basically letting somebody else drive the conversation, let the dead air happen, let bad feedback happen. One of the scariest questions to ask somebody is how can I improve and really mean it? And that comes from radical candor also is not letting people off the hook, uh, when you teach them how to give you constructive criticism. And all of those things have, they're all kind of connected in that like risky communication and uh, being vulnerable with people. And it, it starts by really caring about the outcome for this person. And I think most good managers, most of the managers that I know at least start with this raw ingredient. They really care about the people that they're working with and they want them to succeed and they want them to grow. Um, and, but when that ingredient is missing, literally all of this, other, uh, all the rest of this falls apart. And so the rest of it is just being willing to risk the consequences of asking questions and listening. And from that point forward, it's just a skill acquisition tree. Like there's a big jump from being vulnerable and taking a risk and changing yourself in that way. And then just growing the skill acquisition tree beyond that of practicing active listening techniques. And, um, I, I wish I had access to some resources for that. I know I've been trying to practice it for, uh, the last year or two. Absolutely. You've mentioned a couple of times, uh, that you've, uh, actively tried to, to better your active listening over the last few years. Um, how have you approached that? I wish I could say I did something formal. I think I remember Googling active listening and then I don't remember what I actually read. But since then, what I do is it's a, it is actually like meditation, except you're meditating on what the other person is saying. So instead of trying to push thoughts out, you're just trying to push everything else out and refocus on the words. And sometimes mentally I'll repeat the words that they're saying and, and kind of like meditation is like you let your brain kind of do whatever it's going to do and don't judge it and don't be mad at it for wandering around and, and coming back to thoughts. You, you just gently re-guide it back into place. Like, okay, hold on. I lost, I lost this for a minute. I lost the thread for a minute. Um, and so the, 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 this actually, for some reason takes a tremendous amount of mental energy for me. I don't know if my brain is broken or this is a typical human condition, but it requires a fair amount of effort, probably on the scale of every 15 to 30 seconds in a conversation where I have to refocus my brain on the thing the other person is say, saying, rephrase it in my own head, uh, and then at pauses, check my understanding uh, that that what of what they're saying. So what you're saying is blank, you know? Um, and... At that point, it allows me, and then also I use, you know, writing implements is a big deal for me, writing down what somebody is saying, sometimes literally in actual quotes, uh, if it's a one-on-one -on -one situation or something where writing is appropriate. It's a lot, that actually is a really good crutch for me is when I write down somebody's, you know, phrase in actual quotes, because my brain will try to like remember it a different way or in inject it with its own meaning and color it in some way. If I write something down in a literal quote. Uh, I find that to be really useful as well. Those are pretty much all I've got now. I would love to find more resources and techniques for this because I feel like I'm trying to brute force, brute force like a speed reading course by just being like, read faster, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about like sort of rephrasing things in your head. I, I found that useful in trying to make sure it, it, yeah, this is a, a something I use to check my own assumptions when I'm hearing some something from somebody uh, is to rephrase that back in the question. So let me make sure I understand. Let me re reword this and see if I can explain what, what you're telling me. 
and go back through that and ask them to, to validate it. Or, and I would say this is at least 50, 50, um, or say, well, no, this, I meant this over here. I meant that over there. Yeah. I find even now I'm still wrong about half the time. That's pretty much my experience as well. Yeah. And if you're in a room with a, a dozen people and you're, sometimes you can observe that where you think when you heard something, somebody say one thing and you saw somebody react to it a different way, if you're like, well, Hey, let me, let me jump in here and see if I can and explain what Alice said. And Bob, you tell me if this is uh, the uh, how you took it. And more often than not, one of them will agree with me that I, the original assumption was correct, and the or they'll both agree with me. The original assumption was correct, and the other person was reading it had read it entirely wrong, um, or <laughs> the other person had read it entirely wrong, and the and the first person will jump in and say, like, "Yeah, no, this is what I meant," <laughs> um, and just getting that clarity out there. I think that's. That's the result of, of listening and good and uh, a good questioning uh, is that you're get your to, to use a, a consultant a consulting word a phrase uh, you're driving to clarity um, as you start to to like really make sure everybody is on the same page. I like the idea of basically triangulating the answer by injecting uncertainty into. Mm-hmm people that, well, I, no, I thought everybody understood. I meant it this way. And the other person's like, oh, I thought everybody understood. I thought everybody understood it this way and injecting uncertainty into it kind of is another one of those moments of vulnerability. Cause it is, this is another place where you're kind of like improv style, putting yourself mm-hmm. out there. Hey, let me rephrase what you said in my own words, like, and potentially expose myself as a big dumb dummy that doesn't know how, how you know, what people mean when that's a risk that other people in the room kind of want to take, but may not want to. And this is a place where in a, uh, when you look at the power dynamic, coming back to the power dynamic of being a manager or a leader or an, you know somebody in a position of perceived authority in a room full of people that that see that power dynamic or feel it in some way, you really get to flatten that by being willing to put yourself out there in that way and say, hey, let me check my understanding here and then be wrong and yeah. have people go, no, that's not correct. And, and I think that itself goes such a super long way to earning trust with a team. The other thing that on here about letting the the coachee arrive at their own solution is literally just a natural outcome of good listening technique. Mm-hmm. There is not that's not a skill. Letting a coachee arrive at their own solution is literally just the result of practicing good listening techniques. My experience with uh, a good therapist is that they will like lead you around the lake of insight. They'll walk you up to the lake and they'll lead you around it and around it until you yourself look and dive into it and talk about what a brave genius you are for discovering this lake and jumping into it. (laughs) Yeah. Because you can never throw somebody in. That's not possible. A person has to jump in on their own and, and, and people resent being solved for. And, and listening is like the only listening, offering feedback. Okay. That sounds like a frustrating thing. What, you know, what, what should be done about this? And people will generally realize there's something that they can do. In injecting, uh, what did you call it? Approaching clarity or, uh, driving to clarity, driving to clarity. Yeah. I think in like, I love this idea of injecting uncertainty in order to drive to clarity. Well, so as you were describing, uh, describing your take on this, it reminded me of a, there's a principle in CS and I, I don't have a CS background, uh, but I, I've done this long enough that I've ended up exposed to a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this is called the hill climbing problem, but essentially you're trying to move something, some algorithm for this is an AI problem. You're trying to move something forward and get a better solution. So you're climbing the hill. And so you move forward um, and is forward better or worse. And if it's better, okay, 
Now keep that and move forward and you keep doing this. Um, the problem with it is you end up in these valleys. So you don't know that if you just pushed forward, maybe another two steps, you would start going back up and then you'd end up even higher. Um, and you end up you know, stuck in a valley. And one of the ways around uh, solving for that is to introduce randomness in the movements. Um, hmm. So whatever your, whatever your fitness function is to say, yes, this is better or this is worse, you're going to do your incremental steps and then randomly, maybe at, at whatever percentage you want, let's say it's 1% of the time, you're randomly just going to take a complete leap. And instead of moving one forward, you're going to move a hundred forward and see what happens. Is it better than where you currently are? So you, there's a CS theory for literally introducing randomness and uncertainty to see if you can get to someplace better. Like I'm trying, I don't know why this was reminding me, but it's almost like Forrest Gump where it was so valuable to me when being the way that I was raised and in school and all the performance stuff after that, it was so valuable to me to be perceived as the smart person. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You know, like being, doing things that made me look and feel smart was really important to me. And Forrest Gump is just the sort of person that moves about in random directions, but isn't afraid to move in a direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of value in that because it, it, it creates movement of some kind. And it's very easy to lock yourself in analysis. Uh, if your goal is to appear smart, it's pretty unlikely you're actually going to do anything. Uh, because doing something is risky, you're going to risk looking dumb. And so introducing randomness by being willing to be like, I, I, the reason it made me think of that is I thought, what would I want somebody to say about me? Like, I would actually be delighted if somebody said, wow, Brandon is kind of an idiot. He asks a bunch of dumb <laughs> questions, but man, he gets stuff done. He unlocks yeah. things like, I don't know. I, that's a little bit extreme to assume that that's, that would be the outcome. But given the choice between the two about being the, you know, the smart person that locks things up or being the person that's willing to inject dumb questions and randomness, hopefully you can guide things in a good direction, but being willing to be the person that injects randomness by asking questions at all shows it's better to ask the dumb question than to create an environment where no questions are asked, where everybody kind of goes with their original assumption. Yeah. And we still got half that list that we could could dive yeah. into for sure. The uh, yeah, one of them. Uh, there's the foundational elements, and then there's everything else. Um, yeah, and I, I, I'm looking at the list and not looking at the the totality of the article, but looking at it, I would say that there's a a uh, a fallacy that's been introduced here um, in the giving feedback and then recognizing and pointing out strengths as two separate things. Um, feedback is feedback, and if you attribute yeah. some some uh, validity to it as good or bad, um, you're not providing feedback. You're providing praise and encouragement, or you're you're uh, providing correction, um, and those are are different things. Um, and they've broken those out. Uh, but making sure that your feedback isn't always just, hey, you really need to knock that off. Yeah, uh, those two go together. But the rest of these are all a natural outcome of listening, questioning. And in order to do those well, you have to have empathy. And you can't just run the be a manager in the a pure Socratic method, where you never make a declarative statement. And that's where I would say giving feedback uh, comes in is that's the declarations that you make. Um, and being thoughtful about how you do that and, and what you say with a foundation of listening well, questioning well, and doing both of those from a place of empathy, that sets everything up for uh, goal setting and helping them come to their own uh, solution and giving the, the structure that they need and, and so on, uh, and ensuring that they're focused correctly and looking to solutions and not just the, looking at the problem. That's such an easy, I, I catch myself in that. Um, where you see a problem and you just get bogged down in the problem and not think through, okay, 
this isn't, yes, there's a problem, but there's a, some, there's something that solves for this problem. How do we solve for this problem? Um, and being instead of, are you, you mean, instead of becoming sort of discouraged by the, just the depth of the problem, or do you mean just in the, being stuck in solution mode? Um, one so the, the last point here was encouraging uh, solution focused approach. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, to me, uh, m what I infer into that is, uh, being able to pull somebody out and say, look, at the end of the day, this is what we're trying to accomplish. What are the things that move that? Not necessarily the, the things that are in the way of getting to that. Uh, um, I see. And kind of like the begin with the end in mind deal from, uh, you know, like classic Covey stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely, uh, definitely hitting some of those barriers not in my extremely recent past in the last couple of weeks where, I'm realizing I was kind of charging through a solution and feeling really good about being a solver and not really thinking about the end that I was trying to solve for. And I sure did create a solution of some kind. Mm -hmm. Wasn't really solving the right problem, but I did solve something. I caught myself doing that uh, just recently. Um, I had an afternoon blocked out and I was going to do some technical work, uh, which is already dangerous enough. Uh, if, I've, <laughs> if, if I have a, an appointment with uh, my text editor on my calendar or something, uh, watch out. Um, but I was, I was trying to optimize a particular query um, and start digging into it, figuring out how can I make this better? What can I adjust and, and go down that path? And then at the end of it, I, I'm two, three hours in and I'm, I pull myself back up to the layer above where I had been working and I'm looking at it and I go, wait a minute this query is really expensive and it doesn't change that often. Why don't I just cache this? <laughs> and it was being able to like the solution. It, so here I was, I, I, the problem was I had a, I had an API endpoint that was running slowly. Um, my solution, I jumped straight to the solution instead of how do I make it faster? I was like, well, obviously the query is slow. I need to get that running faster. And uh, I jumped straight to a, uh, a solution in a bad way, but I was solving for the wrong thing. Instead of solving for how do I make this faster, which yeah, caching is nine times out of 10 the answer, <laughs> um, I was like, well, let me make the query faster. But Focus, caching doesn't. Focused on the wrong yeah, thing. Yeah, caching isn't clever, though. Caching is boring. It's not clever. Optimizing <laughs> queries, that requires cleverness. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's really kind of a lot of times what it comes down to is. Uh, the solution-based, the solution-focused approach is: Am I trying to prove that I'm really smart, or am I trying to achieve something with this person? You know, when you're talking to them, am I trying to avoid uh, exposing myself as a as dumb or a bad manager, or am I trying to help them actually achieve something? Even if your heart is oriented right and you're you're thinking about that person, there's a background process running often preventing us from really solving their problems and really being focused on on demonstrating that we have an answer. And, you know, we, we can exercise all the, the active listening techniques in the world. But if you can't get past the, the point where I'm trying to have the answer instead of help them arrive at one or help them achieve something, um, then I'm not really doing like servant leadership. I'm doing, you know, I'm, it's like a micro version of a command and control of, hey, here is an answer. I need you to implement it. Yeah. Um, I, I bring me problems and I will figure them out and then hand the solved Rubik's cube to you to go put on a shelf. And they're like, great, thanks. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot less valuable than, than being there as a person to help people untangle their own stuff. And that, that requires a surprising amount of humility for people who come from a background where your job was to solve problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, moving from engineering into, into management, it's that actually may be one of the biggest adjustments that people have to make is moving from your job is to solve problems to your job is to enable other people to solve their own problems. Yeah. I, to bring this full circle to something we were talking about before we 
kick this off. A few days ago, yesterday, I guess it was on Twitter, um, a friend of mine, Cal Evans, tweeted, uh, for folks who have been an engineer uh, and have moved into management, what was the hardest thing you had to learn? The one thing that was the hardest for you to have to learn. And I retweeted it and posted my thing, and it was shutting up. Um, I still have a, I still have a hard time doing that. Um, and it, it's all exactly because of what you're uh, describing that you go from a place of, of being paid to have the answers to being paid to make sure that the answers are, are gotten. Um, and those are two different things and making that shift is, is definitely, definitely hard. Uh, as you were describing the two, uh, the two options or the, the, the two approaches there, uh, I was hearing something. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Carol Dweck's work or not uh, on uh, uh, the Stanford uh, psychologist who wrote the book Mindset. I know um, of it, the growth mindset conversation, but I haven't read the book or, or too much about it. So of the two mindsets that she's identified, there is a fixed and there is a growth. Um, and I think what you were describing there, if, if I was to have to distill it down, if you're approaching a conversation with how do I make myself look smart, you're viewing this conversation in a fixed mindset of the outcome of this, this conversation is going to prove whether or not I am smart or not. And in a growth mindset, you go into that conversation with how can I learn as much as I possibly can from this conversation that I'm about to have or this meeting that I'm about to go to. And if that's your, your option, uh, if that's your approach, asking the quote unquote dumb question is just going to be the thing because that might be the place that, that leads you to uh, the answer to a question that you don't know. So that's an, an opportunity for growth. But if you're trying to go into the, the meeting to prove that, you ha- that, that you're smart enough to be in that room um, and that, that uh, you should be there and people should be looking to you for answers, you're not going to ask that dumb question because you're going to be afraid of the, the outcome of that uh, if it's negative. I think what's amazing about this conversation is actually my concept of coaching has shifted just in the course of this conversation to refocus on the the traits of active listening, being let being focused on allowing another person to kind of pull a solution out of their own experience. Everybody, every manager wants to think they're a good coach, but they kind of probably don't know what it is until you like start unpacking it and realizing what goes into it. And the skills and exercises in it are really surprising. And literally just in the course of this conversation, I find myself surprised. So thanks for sharing your experience with me. I'm, I think we should probably tie things off here, but yeah. uh, uh, I really appreciate every time we do this, I find myself learning something. So I, I really appreciate it for one. And I find, find myself learning something as well. And and, uh, and a lot of instances here saying, yeah, I need to make sure I'm checking myself on this and checking myself on that or uh, taking ideas from you. So yeah, totally enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening again. Uh, This was episode three and uh, we'll see you again soon for episode four. And if you have any questions for us or you want us to talk about any topics that are top of mind for you, you can get a hold of me. I'm Tev Viking on Twitter, T-E-H Viking. And uh, I am T Swicegood on Twitter as well. And uh, both of our DMs are open. So if you have a question you want to ask and you don't necessarily want to ask it in a public forum, uh, shoot us a DM. Yep. Thanks for your time and thanks, Travis. And I hope to see you again next time.